Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie. Joining me is John Schwartz. Hello. Nathan McAvorsky. Hello, Hillary. And Al Sanasiri. Hello. We're all crammed into Al's office today. Our recording space was not available, so we're, we're having a nice little intimate podcast today. Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Yeah, everybody looks good. Thanks for, thanks for having us, Al. You're welcome. I'm glad you guys are <laughs> here. So we just signed off on the June issue of Yankees Magazine. Great job, everybody. The cover story, Glaber Torres. Nate, you did that one. Yeah, well, it was actually, uh, Al, I think it was your idea. It well, a, you know what? If he keeps playing the way he is, yeah, it was my idea. <laughs> if that changes, I think it was, it was John or, or your idea. Deep down, it was Brian Cashman's idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's funny how things change month to month. You know, when we were get, when we first got together in late April to discuss the June issue, uh, you know, the Yankees were kind of kind of got off to a slow start, and we're like, I don't know who should be on the cover, and it, you know, it can. Let's just kind of wait and see. And, you know, now you look at it and we're like, boy, we're, we're running out of months. Of, and we have all these guys we want to put on the cover. But, uh, I mean, Glaber was kind of a an easy decision once, you know, some time had passed. And, you know, I think his first game was April 22nd. And just after a couple of weeks, he had already done so much and really was the talk of the town in a lot of ways. So um, it worked out well. We set up an interview with him. I want to say it was like, maybe a Friday or something, uh, just as we were about to start a three-game set with the Indians. And he ended up, you know, hitting a three-run homer for his first home run that night. And then on Sunday, he hits another three-run homer, and it's a walk-off. And we had this uh, interview set up for, for Tuesday following that. So by the time we sat down with him, there was a lot to discuss. How comfortable does he look? Is anyone oh my just gosh. blown away by that? I've always said about him from the first time that I met him which was like a week after the trade when I went down to Tampa to talk to him, that he just, you know, just seemed really comfortable in his own skin and seemed like a superstar, like, you know, just that he was, that he was grooming himself to be a superstar. But you just watch him. I mean, we ran, ran a picture in your story, Nate, of him hopping on Didi's back. Yeah. And it's like, you just don't see rookies pulling this stuff. <laughs> and yet, you know, if you're going to hit a three-run home run every night, I guess that's the way to do it. <laughs> And now we sit here and he's homered in three straight games. I mean, it's just unbelievable. He looks comfortable on the field, you know, whether he's out there at second base, he looks comfortable in the batter's box. And uh, he was certainly comfortable in the dugout when we, when we did this interview. I mean, he's just so wise beyond his years, seemingly, so mature, you know. Um, he's, he's only 21, but he's married. He's in the big leagues. He's been a professional now for, for a number of years. And... Uh, Really, that's that's a pretty good way to describe him. It's just professional. I'm really fascinated by one unusual choice that you made with this Q and A, which was first off, I mean, we should say Glaber speaks English and does his mm -hmm. interviews in English this year, but you chose not only to to do the interview in Spanish, but to do it in Spanish almost without translation. Yeah, yeah. For this, you know, I really wanted to allow our readers and Yankees fans. A really, you know, intimate look into who he is, and I wanted it to be straight from the source. And so, while his English is quite good, and he's, you know, made really a, a strong effort to do interviews in English. Obviously, Spanish is his native language, so I think the questions that I had prepared to ask him, I just felt like he would be able to answer them much better in his native language, and in doing so, give our readers 
greater insight into who he is, where he's from, what he's all about. And so, yeah, you know, I had a, a, a kind of certain block of time, you know, we had maybe 20 minutes or so to do the interview. It ended up going longer than that. But I didn't want to waste any of that time waiting for the translation to come back. And let's just give a little background. This might seem obvious to us, but to give a little background here, I mean, you have four people sitting in this room right now with something like 55 to 60 years of baseball writing experience, but not one of us, unless I'm mistaken, speaks any Spanish, which is, I mean, I'm just going to say embarrassing for all of us. Um, but, <laughs> Thank you. you know, <laughs> but when you're, you know, when you're doing these interviews with a player who doesn't speak the same language, a lot goes into it. I mean, you have to ask your question. You have to wait for your question to be translated. Right. And then they process that, and then they answer it usually not looking at you, usually looking at Marlon Abreu, who's the person who's usually translating. Mm -hmm. So the answer to Marlon, and then Marlon responds to you. And I'm not saying anything that doesn't, uh, to me, seem obvious here, but you're really accepting on faith for the most part that you're getting a correct translation. I've certainly never gone back and asked someone else to mm -hmm. translate. So, I mean, these simple interviews, I always try to make it a point to make sure I'm not just speaking to guys who speak English or anything like that, because I want to make sure that, you know, guys who don't speak that often get to be heard in our stories. But it, there is a lot more that goes into it. It's not simple. And I think that was a really great choice you made, just like to not get the interview bogged down and really things being repeated three times, but just to say, you know what, I know what I want to ask and we can fill in the details later, but let's just let him talk. Yeah, you know, we, uh, we, we relied on uh, translators pretty heavily in this issue, as a matter mm -hmm. of fact, you know, Al's Q&A with El Duque. Uh, we have another feature in here uh, about Chinmeng Wang, which required some translation there as well. So Aroldis Chapman. Um, Aroldis Chapman is another guy who, who you know, readers can will hear from in this issue. Now, Marlon's great. I, you know, I, I wanted to put him in there, be, not just because of the fact that he translated my questions to Glaber for this interview, but he was actually really made the whole process so easy in, in setting up the interview and getting everybody where they needed to be um, and everything like that. But I had to kind of just, you know, I always went, when we do interviews like that, I, I, I listen to the answers in Spanish, even though I, you know, understand less than 5% of what's being said. But I do, in, in picking up some of it, you know, I can at least hopefully understand, like, what follow-ups I may need to ask or what follow-ups I may need not need to ask. So, you know, there were a couple times where I, I would... Before asking my next question, I would say, you know, I, I apologize if you've already answered this previously, but, you know, I, but yeah, that was kind of, it, it was an interesting, an interesting interview for sure. One thing that I thought was, is really exciting and it really came out in the interview, in the Q&A piece that you did, but it also is seen through some of the images, both in the story and of course the image on the cover. Mm -hmm. And I see this every single night uh, watching him play, watching uh, Glaber play. Three run home run. Yeah, every, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, you know, he's comfortable, and I know we used that word a lot, you know, a couple minutes ago about him, and it's so true. But it's also really, this is a fun team to watch, and he epitomizes how much fun this team is to watch because he's having so much fun out there, and he's so excitable. And I think just, you know, the image on the cover really speaks to that because he hits a walk-off, and instead of just kind of rounding first base, putting his hands in the air, he literally turned, you know, I know a lot of guys have kind of had this thing now where they're pointing into the dugout, looking into the dugout. He turned his whole body around. Yeah. And, we were able to capture that for the cover, and you know, as much fun as this team to watch is to watch, he might be the most fun out there to watch. I, I can't, can't not leave the TV or or 
the sight, you know, of watching him at bat when when he's at the plate. It's it's you got to watch every at bat. I feel like with him. And yeah. here's the thing. I mean, he's doing this from the nine hole. I, know, I was just gonna say and, it's you know, pretty good for a nine hitter. Maybe part of that is you know Aaron Boone just saying like I'm not gonna mess with what's working here, but like it just tells you what's going on with this lineup right now. You know, we joke, we have a text chain a lot of times where we're just joking, you know, this team, man, or another comeback. But it's mm-hmm. there is no sense that when you knock off, you know, the, the top six hitters that you're going to get any kind of break here as a pitcher. Like, oh, great, now you have to deal with Miguel Andujar and maybe Neil Walker, you know. Oh, and here comes Gleyber Torres, <laughs> who has, like, 12, you know, day, or I guess 20 days of big league service to his name, and yet he's hitting a three-run home run every night. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So, you know, what I did in preparing for the interview with Glaber was, you know, go back and look at some of the other things that have been written about him. And, you know, he's kind of been sort of the, the darling of the Baseball America crowd and, and the folks who follow prospects really closely. Like, a lot has been written about Glaber Torres ever since he signed. But it's, you know, by and large been about his tools and his talents on the field. And so really what I was hoping to achieve with this was to go beyond that and and try to understand just his makeup a little bit. And, um, you know, everybody that I had always had ever spoken to who had interacted with him in any way just said, God, this guy, he's such a nice guy. Like, he's just so, you know, has such a good personality and all that. So we spoke a lot about, you know, where that comes from and and the job that his parents did raising him in uh, Venezuela. He grew up in Caracas. And, um, you know, he was very complimentary of his parents and very grateful for all that they've done for him. And uh, Glaber was actually nice enough to provide us with some photos of him as a kid in his, you know, little league uniform and uh, a shot of him and his parents. So His parents wearing Yankees gear, mind you. Yeah, yeah, his dad was rocking the the Yankees hat. One of two stories we have in this issue where, you know, little kids go back decades and turns out, you know, rocking the Yankee gear. Yep, yep, we got the uh, Chance Adams rocking his Yankee gear as a kid, too. Yeah, and he, you know, he didn't even really want to tell me how big of a Yankees fan he was as a child, but his yeah. mom... Backstory here, Al picked the lock of his childhood bedroom yeah. and went in there. <laughs> it's really kind of crazy that he got yeah. away with it. Well, his, his mother, uh, that was kind of like the first thing she told us when we got to her house. She, <laughs> she blew dream. up his spot. Yeah, Big she really time. did. She really did. And... Uh, <laughs> She kind of whispered it to me, I guess you could say, but uh, you know, he—it really was—it was a dream for him. And, and those stories are just are, are so special and so unique. And, and obviously, Glaber's quickly becoming a star. And to have those type of images, um, which really makes an exclusive Q and A that much more exclusive, is, is really special and, and something Nathan, you should be really proud of uh, to have put together. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just excited for our readers to see it. Um, I, I think you know. Everybody is already kind of falling in love with Glaber, and I think after reading this, they're, they're only going to feel that much stronger about him. And um, I, it has to be said also, like, he's going to hit a cold streak here. Like, I mean, he I, is? You know, he, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to say it right now that at some point, like, I'm not saying in June necessarily, but like, you know, this is not sustainable what he's doing right now, but it sure is awesome. And all players, you know, Didi is still having an excellent season. Obviously, you know, he cooled off from where he was in April. Gleyber Torres is going to cool off, too. But anytime a prospect comes up, you're, you have to be sitting there and you're saying, you know, are we overhyping this guy? Is this thing real? And Gleyber Torres looks pretty real right now. It's kind of a, a, a continuation of a streak because it happened with Greg Bird. Of course, Greg Bird's been a little injured the last couple of years, but Greg Bird came first, then Gary Sanchez came up, and the same thing happened. 
Tyler Austin and Judge came up after that, and they've been kind of amazing <laughs> the last few years. So Glaber is just the next domino in the chain to fall. And I think all of that um, speaks to just the type of job Brian Cashman's done over the last couple of years, both in the draft the selections that he's made, the trades that he's made, the trades that he hasn't made. There's always so much excitement around a player when you acquire a player who was untradeable. You know, it's just, there's no way they're going to trade him. Well, now we have him. So it's uh, it's pretty spectacular. And I think when you see, you know, players start graduating out of a farm system, what's supposed to happen is that the farm system is supposed to, you know, start looking a lot weaker and emptier. They're not even scratching the surface of mm-hmm. what, of even just that 2016 rebuild yet. I mean, really, if you look at it, Glaber is the only one who is truly up. For, am, I, am I missing it? Or? Right, no, you still need no. Justice no. Sheffield. Ben Frazier's not really up. Yeah. Justice Sheffield's not Dylan really Tate. up. Dylan Tate. Billy McKinney. Billy McKinney. You know, McKinney. Yeah. Dylan, yeah, I mean, this is, this farm system is still extraordinarily deep. We joked, and I mean, I think we'll talk more about this at some point, maybe later this month, but what was it, Tuesday night when the Scranton uh, Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, you know, they ran out of lineup there that, ironically, they lost that night, but that would have beat a lot of major league teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a major league lineup that the Yankees are sending out in AAA right now. And they're doing that while the big league team, you know, obviously 17 out of 18 games wasn't going to continue for the entire season. Mm-hmm. But the big league team up until this week had won eight straight series. Meanwhile, their AAA team looks incredible, too. I think back... Um, a couple years ago, I went up to um, Scranton to do um, a piece on Aaron Judge and interviewed him before the game and then saw him play in the game. I think he had a double and a home run or something like that. And Luis Severino was a starting pitcher. It ended up being his last starting, uh, his last start in AAA before he came, you know, before he, you know, came here and obviously has done so well but I think about what a special night that was just to watch these two guys play and God knows who I can't even remember who who else was in the lineup that night but probably a lot of other guys who were here but you know Judge hits a home run and a double and Severino pitches a gem you know which he had done like the last you know 10 starts or something behind it but but you know you're you're seeing these two guys in this lineup and you're in a minor league ballpark and the next thing you know um, one of them is here hitting 52 home runs. The other one's, you know, um, becoming one of the best pitchers in the American League. And that was five seconds ago. I mean, in, in reality, it was a couple years ago, but it really feels like it was, literally feels like it was yesterday. And I think if um, you, when you talk about the lineup that's there now, this major league-like lineup that's there now, those same type of moments are going to continue to happen where you're going to see these guys this year there, and by next year, you know, who knows how good they're going to be on the major league level. And I mean, the thing is, you know, just the way baseball, the way sports works, there's only going to be one team that wins a championship this year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, spoiler, it might not be the Yankees. Um, but the thing is, you know, baseball windows close really quickly. And you look at this team and you look at the system right now, it just looks like that window of being one of the top teams in the league, like you don't see that closing anytime soon because there are reinforcements there. I mean, this team can bring in a legit major league outfielder right now mm-hmm. without having to make a trade or do anything. You know, they could bring up Clint Frazier right now to play the outfield if anyone got hurt or if anyone started underperforming. You know, Tyler Wade is there waiting to play. And these are players who, yeah, you know, you, you don't want to lose Aaron Judge. That's going to hurt. But, you know, when you have reinforcements down in AAA like they do right now, plus an incredibly good roster, at double, I mean, all the way down, mm-hmm. 
you know, you could see a window that's just going to be open for longer than most teams can maintain that. And that's a, it's a different feeling. I mean, you've been a Yankee fan your whole life, Al, and as have I, and, you know, even when we were having those, you know, sustained runs of success, you never felt like you had that kind of depth waiting down in the minors. You know, occasionally a Shane Spencer or a Ricky Lede would crack through, and, and but, I mean, I don't ever recall this feeling of just, geez, we have like a, a you know, Major League B team waiting down in Scranton. And it's happening at the time while the Major League A team has maybe not any more of the best record in the majors, but certainly... Within a game or Yeah, two. exactly. Yeah. It's within a game of the best record in the majors right now. Yeah, yeah it's it's astonishing. And, um, I, yeah, I think you talk about... I, I hesitate every month when I write the press box column to not write the same thing about how bright the future is, but that's what's on the brain, yeah. uh, and it's it's a good thing to have in your in your mind. Yeah, well, Glaber's certainly uh, looks like he's going to be a big part of that for hopefully a long time. And like I said, I think this story is going to the bulk of it was was aimed at getting to know him on a personal level. But then toward the end, you know, we definitely had to talk a little bit baseball um, because it's just been pretty amazing what he's done so far and. Uh, you know, he's he's just got such a wonderful attitude and a wonderful outlook about everything, and he's here to to, to contribute and and to learn and um, just you know all all his answers were were just you know kind of what you would love to hear out of a young ball player. Yeah, so look for that in the June issue of Yankees Magazine on sale uh, today, right? June first. June first. It'll be hitting mailboxes on concession stands here at, at the stadium, merchandising concession stands. So pick one up. There's a great picture of Glee on the cover and great content inside. Speaking of, coming up, we're going to talk to Al about his Q&A with Orlando Hernandez, who 20 years ago this weekend made his major league debut on the 1998 squad. So stick around for that. Hi, this is Luis Guerrero. You listen to the New Yankee Magazine podcast. All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Al's feature called The Fighter about Orlando El Duque Hernandez, who was a huge part of the 1998 championship squad. Al, you've interviewed El Duque quite a few times before, but why was this different? Why did you want to talk to him about Well, this? yeah, no, I did one um, story with him uh, prior to this on his whole, um, really on his whole life and his whole career. And um, that interview took place in Miami as did this most recent one. That first one was in 2013 and um, again covered his whole life and his defection from Cuba um, which happened after many failed attempts to defect uh, which also took place after he was um, believed you know by uh, Fidel Castro and his regime to have been uh, have have aided um, his half brother El Duque's half brother Levon Hernandez in his defection a year earlier and he had tried to defect several times and and then finally did and um, came to eventually got to the United States um, via a few other places in a, in a obviously it was a harrowing um, uh, story and journey and um, and that interview I still to this day um, say was the most candid um, interview I've ever gotten in my life or my career and, and um, he he gave me everything I could possibly want. So when we were um, coming up with a 
a list of, of names of players um, for this series of, of Q&A pieces um, recognizing the 20th anniversary of the 1998 team. Although I'd I had done this story with him. I didn't focus on 1998 that much, and he was a, a person who I definitely wanted to now do a second interview with several years later, um, focusing specifically on 1998 and really get him to talk so much about it. It's, um, he he defected uh, just prior to, to that season, signed with the Yankees, um, and made his debut, as you mentioned, on June 3rd, 1998, and went from really not having pitched at all over that last year. He was on a on a softball team. That was all that Castro allowed him to do, and he wasn't allowed to pitch even in the softball team. He was only able to play a position. Uh, to basically entering the rotation of this star-studded Yankees team and this team that, that obviously went on to this epic, you know, 125-win season um, and earned a spot in the rotation pretty quickly and became a star pretty quickly, and, and they counted on him so much. So I wanted to go back and kind of examine that season with him, and no different than the first time he was, again, incredibly candid um, uh, and and just gave me a really special interview in Miami in um, the end of January. You know, of all these 1998 Q&As that we've done and will continue to do this year, like, I was maybe most excited about this one because, I mean, he's, like, one of my all-time favorite Yankees. Well, like, I know you have the did. picture of him on your desk. I do. There. Yeah, I, I do. He's, he's up there with, you know, I have pictures of, like, Babe Ruth, and he's up there because he's one of the most memorable aspects of that very memorable team. Like, you know, he just came out of nowhere and was amazing and he, just had such a distinctive style. And, again, I, you know, you go back to, you know, something that I mentioned earlier about Glabert, how, you know, his answers to questions were just, like, exactly what you would want to hear. Sometimes the way athletes answer reporters' questions makes you like them even more, too. And I remember thinking that about him, you know, even though it was obviously through translators and stuff. He just had this incredible sort of worldview that, that came through anytime you heard him speak. He was just... He was incredible. I, I I held on to my number twenty six Yankees jersey for uh, I think I only threw it away like last year. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, like you mentioned, I mean, it wasn't it, the baseball stuff was incredible, the story stuff was incredible, but he had such a unique flair to him. It reminded me always of Hideo Nomo, who came mm-hmm. over. You know, he had, you had never seen him pitch. It wasn't like you know this is a guy you'd been hearing about or anything like that. You'd never seen him, and the first time you watched his windup, you immediately knew, like, I'm never going to forget this guy, mm-hmm. and this is always going to be unique to me. A couple years ago, we did 96 mm-hmm. on these, you know, and I was 15 in 96, and I have obviously, you know, very clear memories of that, but it did, it was felt a little older then. You know, 98, I very, 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 very clearly remember everything here, and it makes me feel weird that it's 20 years old to think about those first times that I watched that high knee mm-hmm. kick and just, like, how vivid it is in my head of that experience of seeing that and again just knowing like what is this I've never seen this it's funny you say that John because in 1998 I was eight and that was the first year that I really remember like seeing baseball and appreciating baseball and I remember seeing El Duque Uh, I was watching a game with my dad and my dad's like I've never seen anything like that before and I'm like well I'm eight neither have I (laughs) (laughs) but that's really cool and I was just like enthralled by him just the way that he pitched the way that he got his knee like up to his forehead when he was in the windup I was like this is amazing and that kind of got me into the game so I was excited about this Q&A too. 
Meanwhile, you had, had the year before, as you mentioned, you had had Levon the year before, and then mm-hmm. Duque comes up, and it's just like, you know, who's ne- what is this? You know, yeah. situation's going on here. And I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, I mean, how many among us, like, I don't know, I learned more about Cuba in those two years than oh, I yeah, probably knew before that. Uh, oh, yeah. I certainly had no idea of a lot of this stuff, and just, you know, these weird little interludes during baseball games and in, you know, the newspaper coverage of it. It was fascinating just to learn about how horrible these situations were and what these guys were overcoming to do this. I, I feel the same way. I, I think I learned uh, more world history that year from this than, than all the years up to that point. And, uh, but I think, you know, what was, what was also special about um, his story, both unfortunate and, and it ultimately ended up being a, a fortunate thing, but um, when he was faced with pitching big games for the Yankees, and I know we'll, a big part of uh, what he accomplished that season, the biggest moment that he had that season was literally their biggest game of the season you know you get to a point in a season in the postseason usually it's like this is the biggest game of the year well he pitched quote unquote the biggest game of the year and there didn't even become a game bigger than that after that game but something that um impressed me so much and and to your point nate like when you ask a question and you hope that the player is uh, or the subject is going to respond in a certain way. He did exactly that. Um, and when I asked him about the big start that he had um, with the Yankees being down 2-1 to one against the Cleveland Indians, again, this is a team that won 114 games and were cruising through the postseason and then suddenly found themselves trailing a series 2-1. To, to the uh, team that knocked him out. To the, the team before. that knocked him out here, to a really good team and on the road in a hostile environment. Um, you know, and there was a you know a big choice that the the coaching staff and Joe Torre uh, had to make between David Cohn um, on short rest or, or El Duque on too many days rest, I think, uh, and some of the coaches Willie Randolph and Jose Cardinal really went to bat for El Duque, and a lot of the reasoning that they had was literally and a lot of times this doesn't happen in baseball or happen in sports but using real life like look at what this look at the pressure that this guy faced in real life uh he can handle a baseball game and i had heard that story told you know by him several times but what he ended up doing for me in this interview kind of took it a step further and he gave an example of being in a restaurant uh, several hours earlier that day with his agent and um, you know El Duque's kind of got a loud personality and he laughs really loudly and talks loudly and laughs a lot and talks fast and all that stuff and Joe Torre happened to be a couple tables away and saw how casual his demeanor was and how relaxed he was and came up to him and just kind of like do you know the the magnitude of this game and El Duque's response literally epitomized the reason he was pitching that game and the reason that he pitched so well that game was the game's at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or whatever. It's only 1 o'clock. I'll, I'll focus in at that point. And that says it all, uh, in my opinion. And I, I'm laughing. And Hillary, <laughs> you know, Hillary, your story in this issue, uh, the June issue, is about, you know, players' foundations and the charity work they do. And, you know, one pet peeve of mine, which is something that I, you know, put in my edits when we were working on your story is, you know, I kind of bristle a little bit when people are, you know, this is bigger than baseball, or this is more important than baseball, or baseball doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, you know, because we're a baseball magazine, and this is a baseball team, and, you know, frankly, generally, the baseball is the most important thing that we're dealing with, and that's not 
there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Um, and obviously, we'll talk more about your story, which is incredible. And, uh, <laughs> My story doesn't matter. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> what I am saying is this is the weird case where like I don't bristle at that. Everything yeah. he had done is more important than baseball. Yeah. Like he had overcome things way more important than mm-hmm. baseball in order to get to this point. Like it's one of the very few times that I'll like accept that you know baseball doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things to this guy because it's true. He it, he had accomplished way, things way harder than the baseball game. And, yeah, doing. and I think it allowed him to just be himself on the mound and not overthink things and not over and not press and not be um, you know players in the postseason are the are either as good as they were in the regular season and those are the guys that can handle the pressure or they're a shell of themselves not because they got bad all of a sudden but because the moment was too big how could this moment be too big for him um, and he obviously went out and pitched a gem and probably focused in on the game at if the game was I can't remember if it was at eight o'clock you know kind of got his mind right at 745 or something like that <laughs> and, uh, he has so neat. many like good quotes and good lines in this Q&A about just his like mindset and his like warrior mentality he also had a funny line in there, I thought, about <laughs> like coming to the Yankees and you know, he didn't know anybody at first and then he was surprised when Bernie Williams approached him and started speaking in Spanish because he's like, <laughs> you hear the name Bernie Williams, it doesn't necessarily sound like, you know, he's from Latin America. But. Sounds like he's a yeah. Jewish guy hanging out in the yeah. alley. Exactly. <laughs> and meanwhile, you talk about funny lines. He also had, I don't know the genesis of this picture, but he also has, I think what's going to go down is my favorite picture to run in Yankees magazine this year, maybe not this decade, which is just him on the roof of some building. I mean, again, maybe Nate, you can tell me the story of this. I- you know, the Chrysler building's in the background. He's holding a cigar. He just looks like he has not literally ever had a care in his life. I think that's from Sports Illustrated, if I'm not mistaken. Sports Illustrated did a big profile on him in the 90s or early 2000. I can't remember which which year it was, and I'm pretty sure it ran in Sports Illustrated. It's It's a great photo (laughs) with like a cigar and just amazing. You know, I'll say, you know, John, you were talking about how much we kind of all learned uh, that year about Cuba and, and the different things that someone like this had lived through or what other people uh, from there were living through or had lived through. But just the point of this is a, a, a guy who is completely involved in baseball when he was who was completely involved in baseball when he's when he was in Cuba. He played for the Cuba national team. He also to add to our collection of, of guys, also was a Yankees fan. Um, but it just goes to show you how closed off he was to the rest of the world. He, he had no access to anything that was happening anywhere. That's why he didn't, you know, all he had heard was the name Bernie Williams. Um, didn't really know much about him, didn't know much. Um, and then the next thing you know, he's here, and he has this whole world, uh, you know, literally in front of him, which I think makes the story, uh, makes you even happier for him in that situation. It's a really fun Q&A, and I, you know, it's just a fun look back, just a piece of, you know, if you look at what we've already been able to do with that 98 team, what we're going to do moving forward, obviously there's going to be the big celebration in August. Um, You know, I mean, this, it's easy when you think of, like, 1927, and when you think of things that are, you know, just, like, in grainy film to think, like, well, that's obviously, you know, classic, that's obviously the best ever, whatever. It is fun when you think that, even though it's only 20 years ago, you know, the case that this team has for being, you know, the best team, and just to go back through all of these small stories that, you know, we get a chance to do here. So, it's a very cool piece, and... And, and I don't think it's in, I don't know that I, we, we 
put it in here because we I probably had it in the the original story, but just the you know similar to what we were talking about with this team, how there's so many players in the minors and it's particularly in AAA who could be here. That was a team also. Uh, in, in I shouldn't say that was a team. There were a couple guys on that AAA team, particularly El Duque, who needed to be here. Like they were major league players there. And the reason he got his opportunity was that David Cohn had to miss a start because his mother's Jack Russell Terrier um, decided that his finger looked delicious and bit him. Uh, I was so wondering where you were going with that. Yeah, story. he had to miss a start and. Um, you know, and and literally, as they say, the rest is history. El Duque never, you know, went back down thanks to George Steinbrenner. So it's kind of kind of neat how it turned out. It's a fun. It's a fun look back, and just like all the '98 Q and A's, it's it's fun to look back on that team and everything that they accomplished and the different personalities that made it happen. So, very cool work. So that's in the June issue. It's called The Fighter, and uh, pick it up when you're at the stadium, guys. That's it for us today. Follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Send us mail. I mean, email. It's 2018. Podcast at yankees.com. And you can send us regular mail, too, yeah, I guess. Yeah, we, we get old school letters as well. <laughs> Whatever. But email <laughs> is preferred. <laughs> um, like, subscribe, rate the, the podcast wherever you're listening, and uh, you know, tell us what you think. We want to hear from you. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye.